We're going to be in Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 7, and we're going to read all the way through 4.13. Hear this word of the Lord. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, lending you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those in Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was the provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news has come to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, entered that rest." As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he, was somewhere, for he has some, somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed, to the eyes of whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we hear that you are speaking to us and you are calling us to enter into your rest. Help us to not be hardened today. Help us to not be bitter. But help us to be ready because you are speaking 
Help us listen. We are ready to listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Peace be with you. I'm going to teach and unpack every verse that he just read. No, I'm not. Um, I, I won't. I'll try to summarize it. So, um, peace be with you here. Peace be with you. For those of you that are listening, um, I recognize, uh, and, and I invite you to recognize as well, some still maybe haven't returned uh, to physical gathering in the church and just want to lift them up as well. Think about them in your mind, some, and for those of you who are listening, um, maybe you feel isolated or cut off from the church uh, for any reason, um, you know, family dynamics, concerns around like sickness, um, something I'm sure that I wouldn't be thinking of or not mentioning um, all the different potential, uh, you know, difficulties that you might be at. So I just want you to know, please initiate, uh, for those of you that are listening or you, you know folks back at home, feel free to share this with them. Tell them just to initiate with us if something, if they need something, um, if they're feeling isolated, alone, or need anything from the church. Um, don't always wait on us. It's, it's so hard for us to know where every person is in the church, you know? So just be mindful of those folks. Um, reserve judgment and pray for them and reach out to them. So uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, we just read that. That's where we're at. And um, there's a lot there. I know we had a large reading, and I won't unpack all of it today. Um, it's a wonderful passage, and I wanted to have you read the majority of that because it's all really connected. Uh, so what are, what are we doing in the book of Hebrews? If, you're, if you've just kind of bounced in this morning, uh, it's, in your Bibles, it, it probably says in your Bible, the letter to the Hebrews, although it kind of just reads like a sermon, honestly. I think it's more helpful to think of it that way. So the book of Hebrews is this, it's like a sermon written to Christians uh, a long time ago, like a house church or a group of house churches that are struggling, they're tired, they're maybe spirit, feeling spiritually dull, they're maybe feeling spiritually confused. Um, they are potentially, they're probably thinking about, definitely considering, and the context clues of the book allude to this, uh, they're, they're considering abandoning the faith, or they're uh, at least considering going back to Judaism, like their former religious life as an as a ethnic Jew. And so uh, they're considering that. And whoever this author is, he knows them, he loves them, he deeply loves them, he's very familiar with them, and he's very concerned about their spiritual health, very concerned about their spiritual condition. Hebrews is constantly saying this, like if you're not familiar with the book and that's okay, like some of you might be very churched and you're like, I've never read this book because it seems complicated to me. I just want you to know if someone, no one has ever told you, it's okay and you're in large company. Just, we just may not all admit that. It's a difficult book for us to read. And, um, but it's a book that's basically saying, uh, look at Jesus, really look at him, like really consider and think about Jesus. Because of Jesus, you were meant for something so much better than what you currently are struggling with. Uh, because of Jesus, you were meant for something so much better than the kind of life that you're toying with right now. Or the, the, the kind of life that you're like thinking of going back to. Whatever that is. It, it, Jesus is, is a lot better than that. What he's offering you is better than that. Um, now, the Hebrews 3 and 4, it's got a lot of stuff there. A lot of themes. Uh, uh, we could, I would love, I was telling Mike, 
uh, this morning, I'm like, I would love to just after the service do like an hour, two hour Q&A and like, let's just talk about everything in Hebrews 3 and 4. I, I, I can't do that today. Um, but Mike already alluded to this. Rest is, a, is I'll narrow it down. Rest is, is a theme of, of 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4. Um, it's, it's mentioned, rest is mentioned 12 to 13 times. Like if you just read chapters 3 and 4 of, of Hebrews and, and, and circle the word enter or rest, you'll, you'll, know, you'll, just, you'll see how many circles you have. It's a lot. He, he brings it up over and over and over again. So God has promised to give you rest if you want it. Rest. Anybody tired today? <laughs> it's kind of a dreary day. God has promised to give you rest if you want it. It's amazing, actually, if you really understand it. Um, but what's weird is Hebrews, maybe this isn't weird to you, uh, Hebrews is written about rest in a profound way. It talks about rest, and it really gets in your face about it. Did you notice that? Like, it kind of has, has this way of, like, being confrontational. The author of Hebrews is kind of confrontational. Do you have that friend or that family member that whenever you're around them, like maybe they're like overly involved in politics. And so when they, every time you're with, did you just, someone just raised, yeah. <laughs> that was rhetorical. <laughs> um, they, and they bring up like the latest congressional hearing or they, they, they bring something up in a particular bill or a particular issue and they start talking about it with, you know, this fervor. And you are like relatively uneducated in it. Anyone? Now, I, this isn't rhetorical. You can feel anybody, that happened to anybody. And you're like, so your temperature isn't going to the temperature that they think is warranted? And then they're like looking at you like, what is your problem? You should care about this more than you are, right? Are you that, are you that person? Like, are you, anyway, I, you've probably experienced that person. I want you to actually see and feel and sense the author of Hebrews is that person about your spiritual life. That, that he's in your face. Listen to what he said. He says it uh, is the very beginning of chapter four, verse one. Therefore, um, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So, like, what's what's he what's he say? He's saying Hebrews is saying, wake up. Like, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You're thinking about wake up. Wake up. You should be terrified. Terrified of the thought of not resting in God. Now you're like, now as church people, I know what happens. Like, some of us are like, he should not say that. Like, we should not talk about being afraid. Well, the Bible does a lot. And I'm not saying that the author of Hebrews says that we should be terrified of God. God loves you deeply. Um, but you should, if you understood, if you fully understand what God wants to give you, I think it's absolutely warranted. And I mean what I say, and I, and I back what I say, and I will argue over what I'm saying right now, that you should absolutely be terrified of the thought of not accessing and getting what God wants to give you because it's that good. That's how serious we should take it, right? So uh, what is it then? 
Because I would say, very often, even in this church, like rest is a core value. Do we get it? Like, do we understand like what that the rest that's being offered, that that's being promised, is really about? Two questions I just want to ask: like, what is this rest? How can we access it and practice it in our lives? Like, what is this rest that he describes all about? Is it is it all it's cracked up to be? I mean, do we get? what is being offered to us and what this author is talking about. So the author of Hebrews tells us, um, he does, he explains the idea of, like the biblical idea of rest, but he does it in a roundabout like, way, a, a highbrow biblical kind of way. Did you see that? If you're familiar with these two chapters, um, he calls it, in, in verse 9 of chapter 4, he calls it Sabbath rest. Like there he defines like, what he means by rest. There's a lot there. And then he goes on, right? He says in verse 10, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. All right, does that explain it? Yes. Amen. So, all right, so I don't have to go any further? (laughs) So, it's like quickly, uh, it's a reference to Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe you know that. When God created the world, right, in six days, he creates, he speaks everything in, and then he puts this finishing touch on it on the seventh day, uh, the day that he rested. And, um, but what does that mean, that God rested on the seventh day? Uh, because let's think about this logically for a moment, and this is, throughout the Bible we get this idea, and this seems very logical, the Bible makes it very clear that God does not get tired. Like, so after, after six days of creating, God is not like, oh, I'm going to go sit on this beach I just created, right? <laughs> and, like, take some naps. I mean, it's funny and silly, but come on, he's not. So what is he doing? Because this is the, the, like, the author of Hebrews is trying to get you to understand rest by, by getting your imagination into that mode. Genesis 1 and 2. The culmination of creation is the rest. It's the highlight, right? Despite what our narcissism thinks, you are not. The creation, we were created, and then later, the, the crescendo is the rest. Why, why is he resting? He's not vacationing. So, uh, to the best of our ability to grasp this biblically, uh, God was enjoying and drawing satisfaction from and delighting in his finished work. Like, so, um, in other words, God is not anxiously trying to prove himself to the world or some audience, like, like we do at work. Like, he's not anxious about, like, trying to achieve, trying to prove his sense of worth in the company. That's not God. He knows when something's done, and he knows how to enjoy it. Do you? You know? Like, I mow my grass, and I'm like, I think I'm done. And then I sit, and I look at it, and I go, that looks good. Right? It's like about the only thing in life I'm good at just recognizing. That's done. (laughs) But, uh, so, he knows how to do this. God is an architect, he's an engineer, he's a scientist, and he's an artist, all rolled into one. He knows how to finish something, and he knows how to stop and enjoy what he has finished. It's an amazing aspect of God's character. He knows when, let's put it this way, 
I'm, I'm, God knows when enough is enough. Enough. He knows how to finish and how to enjoy when it is enough. Now, just think about this for a moment. Enough. Think about that word. Enough. Enough. That's a feeling that's so elusive. Enough. You know, as a parent, you're like, you, you probably, you, enough <laughs> to your kids. Enough. Enough is enough already. But in life, in your life, when is what is enough? When is what is enough for you? Uh, like, um, like, are you good at knowing when enough is enough? Are you good at drawing peace and satisfaction, like God, in enough? Uh, so, like, um, is this food enough? That's a trivial, silly example. Last night I had pizza. My wife made us pizza for dinner last night. And I'm like, I'm struggling with enough. Like, I don't, when is enough? Like, I just keep going, right? Like, but that's a silly example. But are you good looking enough? You know, like, at what point in the mirror are you like, mm-hmm, yep, I'm good. Like, I'm, this is enough. Are you skinny enough? Um, are you unique enough? You know, like special talent? Are you noticed enough? Are you rich enough? Was the last promotion that you had enough? Uh, was the work that you're currently doing, the way, what you've achieved, is that enough? Have you helped enough? Have you loved your kids enough? Are your kids enough? Is your wife enough? Is your, is your husband enough? I don't know. These are things, these are enoughs that we don't know if we have had enough of, right? Like, we struggle with enough. That's what I'm trying to say. When things are never enough for us, especially on a spiritual level, right? Uh, you will embody in your body, like literally physically, spiritually, emotionally, and your, very, your presence will have this around people. You, you will embody restlessness. See, to struggle with enough is to be restless, isn't it? Isn't it? That's what restlessness is. It's not enough. You will be uncertain, anxious. You will be a workaholic. You will be vain, deeply vain. You will be easily distracted. You will struggle to find deep peace and satisfaction. Ultimately, uh, this is what it means. Like on a, the, for the Bible, this this whole story in here, like this, it's this trying to give a perspective on the world and on you and on your life. That this is what it means for us that we were separated from God. It, we inside of ourselves feel deeply insecure, deeply inadequate. We're struggling with enough. And so we're restless. Like, and we're, it's coming out in all these different ways. Um, to be restless is to be uncomfortable in your own skin. 
It's why the first reaction for Adam and Eve, once their separation took place, was to do what? To cover their privates. Right? Oh my gosh. This is not enough. (laughs) I'm deeply ashamed of myself. That's what it means to be human now. We're desperately trying to figure out a way how to cover our sense of inadequacy. They did it with fig leaves, and we have a typological fig leaf all the time. I just mentioned a bunch of them. We have this fear of who we are, what we're accomplishing, and we have a fear of our future as well, where we'll end up and what we will get in the future. Will it be enough? And so we're just striving and working and... We're deeply tired and restless. Will things work out for me? Will you find peace? Will you find satisfaction in the thing that you are working tirelessly towards? Will you ever fully be satisfied on the deepest level? So the book of Hebrews is, see, is, comp- is confrontational and it wants to get in your face and say, wake up, wake up, please wake up. What God is promising is the thing that you need more than anything. He is offering you a relationship where you begin to settle these doubts. You begin to really work on them. I'm not saying that you will wake up one day as a Christian and you can, let's hear the most mature Christian in the room. I'm not saying you'll ever, you'll, you'll just, I don't struggle with feeling inadequate anymore. And that's not what I'm trying to say. But you're this person now confronting it. Like you know what's going on when you yelled at someone, or when you were really defensive, you're able to diagnose it. You're like, man, what, what is, ha- like, I'm losing sight of something here. That's what Hebrews invites you into. God is inviting you into settling these doubts and fears and uncertainties of enough. Think about this for a moment, right? Think about this. Let's go gospel. What, in the gospel, you have this, Jesus goes to the cross, Right? He dies for my inadequacies and my separation from the Father. He wants to win it back. And he, and he wants to give me a new life. And he wants to say, he wants me to experience what it means to just feel forgiven and feel loved. And so God, so Jesus goes to the cross. And, and this is recorded in John 19. And as Jesus is drawing his last breaths for being murdered... For, for nothing he's done. And as he's drawing his last breaths, he lovingly says, it's finished. What's he mean? Just my life is done? Is that all he meant? It's finished. Finished. Jesus knows when it's enough. He knows. His life was enough. His death was enough. Jesus knows in that moment, even though he's in pain, there's this satisfaction he's actually drawing because he knows that God is able to be satisfied when a work is complete. It's amazing. God is not mad anymore. God is not uncertain about things. Like God is not uncertain. Will, will there be a price like paid for how much they have hurt each other? And how much they've hurt me? Will the dead ever get paid? God is not anxious about that. It's paid. 
It's finished, right? This is what the gospel news is. Like nothing else needs to be brought to the table to bring peace in your relationship to him. And so he wants us to trust that when he says it, it's finished, he means what he says. Like he means it. And, and he not only loves you to the bottom, he wants you to trust that your future is, is going is to be okay. Like all will be well. And, you know, see, it, people have long debated, a lot smarter people than me, in Hebrews 3 and 4, they've long debated like this idea of rest and when this Sabbath rest can be experienced. In other words, um, is it talking about the future or is it talking about like the present? And it, you, you're like, you might, when you read it, you recognize, oh yeah, it's a little, it seems a little cloudy. Is this a promise of rest for the day, like later? Or is this something you're supposed to enter into today? Um, well, I think, and this is my best attempt here, and I, and I did read a lot of really complicated books, and so I am very delighted to argue with you that I think I'm right. Uh, but I think, I think um, the fact that the author of Hebrews doesn't explicitly come out and say it means that he wants both in view for you. I, I think, so for those of us that have this genuine, active faith in Jesus, your future, in some senses, your, yes, your future, in other words, your death will bring enough. Uh, like, so Revelation 14, 13 says this, blessed are those, or sorry, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Like, it's, it's finished. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So the Bible, in one sense, wants you to say, wants you to feel, experience right now, that, listen, your future, in your future, your death, although there are things about your death that are uncertain, one thing is very certain, that ultimately when you draw your last breath, you get rest. And not this kind of rest, like annihilation rest. This kind of rest where you enter into the loving presence of Jesus forever. Um, but there's this present dimension of rest, this Sabbath rest that I think the, the author of Hebrews is getting at. There's a sense in which the author wants us to rest today, right? To rest today in the present condition doesn't just mean to be idle or do nothing. It means to work and to live uh, and at, at ease, like there's a, there's a kind of a we've talked about this in the Sabbath series. Like I, I love it, how some say it. It's this anxious, this non-anxious kind of presence about everything, even when you're sweating and you're working hard. There's learning how to live life in such a way that you're not out to prove yourself anymore. You know, you're you, you, you're not somehow trying to cover that nagging hole of inadequacy. And so there's this like open-handed acceptance to life. I'm not saying you don't ever get sad or frustrated. I'm just saying like you know how to receive it. Take it in. No, it doesn't define all of reality. Uh, there is more gratitude than grumbling that marks your life. Uh, there is more humility and joy in you. There's less defensiveness when somebody has a problem or critiques you. Uh, you become easier to be around too. Oh, 
people that get like enter into daily rest, they're just easier to be around. They're easier to love on. They're more loving to be with. Uh, that you find yourself more able to love other people in their inadequacies when you're entering rest. Uh, to rest, ironically, and I love this part. I was thinking about this a lot. To rest, like biblically, in the present condition, is to drop all of your religiosity. Like, one of the things that's fascinating to me, that I don't think a lot of people understand in our world today, is that, um, like, real gospel people, like, they're really absorbing it into them. It's softening them. And it's doing so much so that they become the least religious people around. And you're like, nuts, cows, no, yes. Again, I will argue about this. <laughs> I will stand by this. People sharing in Christ, as the author of Hebrews talks about, that are really confident in their faith and everything that Jesus has done on their behalf and for them and, and securing for them, they're the, the least religious people out there. Um, the other day I heard this interview with Sean Penn. Any Sean Penn fans? Um, and... A-list talent guy, right? Yeah? Uh, unbelievable talent. I'm sorry if you're like, I totally disagree. I, I think Sean Penn's pretty... Uh, he makes a lot of good movies. All right. So, anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you know, uh, but he's, Sean Penn is a crazy humanitarian. Crazy humanitarian. So, and, and he's done... He, what he's done in places like the Middle East, what he's done in Haiti is crazy inspiring. Um... He's done it, and you're like, well, he's got money. Yeah, I know. So it's like he's done a ton with his money and his influence. And he, in this interview, is being praised for all of this. Like they were, you know, having him share a little bit about all this work and why he does it and how he thinks. And so then they were like, hey, Sean. So like the, interview, the host was like, hey, Sean, what, what's left, man? Like what do you do with the second half of your life? You, you, you know, you can literally choose whatever work you want. Like, you can take the role or not the role. You're an A-list guy. And, and now, like, in the world of, like, you know, humanitarian aspects, like, he's, he's, he's now famous just for that. So it's like, what's left, Sean? How are you going to live out the remaining days of your life? And this was his answer. His answer was, was this. Uh, well, something like this. He says, well, um... On, I, I'm gonna live in, I want to live in such a way that on that last and final day, I have the least amount of shame as possible. Dude, that is so religious. Do you, see, do you hear how religious that is? I don't think Sean Penn is a Christian, by the way. He is so religious. Everything is bound up in this idea of like, am I enough? Have I done enough? He's struggling with that nagging feeling. And by the way, man, I totally get what he's saying. I struggle with that same feeling. I live in such in that way. I, that's, I, I vacillate in and out of that kind of space all the time. I totally get it. I, get, I have that nagging feeling. Uh, to be religious is to struggle with enough. Will it be enough? When will you know? When will you know, Right? To be religious is to be restless. It is to constantly worry about your current condition and your future. To be restless is to not trust what God is saying, what he's offering you. Restlessness 
is relational distrust. That's how I want you to understand it, right? Like, when the Bible talks about resting, it's really talking relationally. Like, you had a trust in this relationship so you can calm down. Like, I, my uh, two-year-old did not want to go to bed last night, or he didn't want to go to sleep, and I was rocking her. The idea is when you're rocking a little one, is you want them to just lay still, you know? Like, because enough is enough, <laughs> and that when they won't, when, when the, you know, they're squirming and they're, they're, they're squealing, and she's like literally slapping me on the face, going, Dad, 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 because I'm falling asleep. And um, it's like she doesn't know when, like, the living, the playing, the eating, the snacking, the shows being, it's a, like, she wants more. But the moment she stops squirming and just rests into my you know, chest, she's saying, I trust what it's done. The day has been enough. I'm going to rest now. I trust that this now is done. That's what you do. As a Christian, the invitation is to do that with God. Stop squirming. Whatever that means for you. This is the human condition. It goes back as far as time. And the majority of this passage we read, that's what it's all getting at. It's, it's the author of Hebrews thinks every day is not a series of random pointless events, but every day is freighted with meaning. He thinks that every day is like a crossroads. Um, he thinks that every day is like a fork, a relational fork in the road for you. He wants you to treat every day like it's a decision, a relational decision to make. That's the serious, like he wants you to take it that seriously. Every day, think about this question. Do I trust in God right now? Not like, did I trust in God 10 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus? No, like he's saying, I know you're a believer, but what are you trusting right now, today? What's the answer that you give today? You see at the beginning of the whole passage that we read, he goes, he's reading from Psalm 95. That's what he's doing. He's reading out of Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 um, recounts Israel's history through the wilderness. That's what, even though it's written, Psalm 95 is written hundreds of years after the wilderness. You know, you can go to Exodus and read about that. But Psalm 95 is recounting that for them. Now, he's purpose, he's picking that very much on purpose. Because if this is a Jewish audience, which we think very much it is, see, they, if they were weekly going to Sabbath synagogue on Saturdays, they would have to sit and listen to Psalm 95 every single week. That's what it meant to be a Jew. They were raised that way. So he's, he is brilliantly doing wordplay. He's like, you guys have to read this. Or you've been reading this your whole life every single week. Are you actually paying attention? Because your everyday experience should be thinking in this way. Today, if you hear him, listen. He's speaking to you. He's offering you something. And so for him, as the story, he he assumes that they get it. We may not, because we're not as, like, we weren't raised having to memorize parts of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But they were. So he assumes a lot. But for them, you know, Israel, slaves in Egypt for a time, it's a horrible time for them. They were rescued out by God. 
They were brought out into the wilderness, which the Bible frames as a time of testing. Forty years they were out there. It was a time of testing for them. They were brought out into the wilderness. They were promised this new land, Canaan. And that land equals rest. That's how the Old Testament thinks of it. It was a place of rest. It was a place for them to experience. They don't have enemies anymore. They can finally rest in God's presence in a way. But over time, because the wilderness is difficult, right? Over time, despite seeing all these signs that God did, despite being provided for by God, over time, man, they are tired of the difficulty. They are tired of certain levels of uncertainty. You know, because life under God's care in this, partic- this broken world as it is, this compromised world, it has moments of uncertainty and difficulty. It does for you, and it certainly did for them. And that uncertainty got them in a place of feeling very tired. And it just got to them. And little bit by little bit, and you can read about this in Exodus, you can read about this in Numbers, little bit by little bit, their lives looked less and less like true believers. That was their experience. Does it feel or sound familiar at all? Over time, they just lacked, looked, their life just didn't reflect really being believers anymore. And they did all sorts of crazy things, and they said crazy stuff. At one point, at this famous place called Kadesh, Numbers 13 and 14, you can read about it, this famous place, they're thinking about, they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. They are so fed up, they are so tired, and they are so scared of what's coming and all the uncertainty around them, they're like, uh, maybe we should go back to Egypt. It's like, really? Do you remember what was back there? Slavish life, building brick after brick after brick after brick, no hope for a future? But that's the, that's the crazy thing that we do over time when we get tired. We get so delusional, thinking that something else might be better than what Jesus is offering us. That's the place they got into. They grumbled so much that marked their whole life. And finally, it's super sad, but God is finally like, okay. And that's what you read in Hebrews 3 and 4. Finally, God is like, fine, fine. Die out in the wilderness. It's what you want. That's what they wanted. So he let them have what they wanted. Die out there. And so the next generation is the one that gets in. I mean, if at this scene in Kadesh, it's a really famous scene. Some of you might remember it, but these two guys stand up. Anybody remember who they are? Caleb and Joshua. They stand up, right? They're the ones. They're like, I want to be like Caleb and Joshua. Yes, you do. Because they stand up and they say something to everybody, right? They're like, please don't do this. Wake up. Don't be afraid. What he's offering, what he promised to do, he'll do. Believe in it. That's what Caleb and Joshua do. The Lord is with us, they say. Don't be afraid. Well, so, so, so here's the thing. The reason why I'm doing all of this is in 3 and 4, this is my exegesis for you. 3 and 4, what the author of Hebrews is doing, he's channeling his inner Caleb and Joshua. He's doing the same thing to them, like for you. He's saying in this passage, he's channeling that, and he's trying to say, friends, treat every day like it's a Kadesh moment. Every day, your every present day, is a relational fork in the road. What do you believe today? Treat every day like that. 
Like it's a moment to either trust in the finished work of Jesus or to distrust. Notice how many times he keeps bringing up Psalm 95. Today, today, today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He wants you to have this kind of hypervigilance about your everyday. Treating everyday like it's a crossroad conversation. So for him, it goes like this. And I want you to think of it this way. What if every day, just do some imaginative work. What if every day God is speaking all around you? And he's inviting you into rest. He's inviting you into this relational trust. This kind of relating of trusting that Jesus is enough. His work is enough. His love for you is enough. Because he loves you so much, you you are actually enough. Like as you are right now, you're enough because of him. And as far as your future is concerned, it will be enough. Every day is an invitation to think about it and believe in it. And what if, what if just is if that is the difference maker for you in all of your interactions throughout your day, at work, in the home, with your kids, with your spouse, whatever it is, that's the difference maker. What if as you learn to settle into that trust, you'll learn in your own agency how to be different in your job and in your parenting and in your work and in your money and in your conflicts and your disappointments and in your moments of uncertainty? Now, practicing it, how do you keep this vigilance up? Because we do have to take responsibility. You don't have to take responsibility for your salvation. The Bible makes that really clear. But Hebrews 3 and 4 is definitely full of responsibility. Uh, you, have to make, you have to take the responsibility for keeping this salvation active in your imagination and in your heart. Very much responsible for that. And that's the paradox of rest. You have to work to enter rest. I know you're like, what? That's what he says. He says, strive to enter the rest. Fascinatingly, the Bible never talks about rest like you create it. It's just been out there all along. All you're being invited into is to enter into it. That's the paradox. So first, I would say this. There's two things I would say about this in terms of practicing. Start this way. Be willing to recognize and acknowledge. Maybe you just need to say it quietly in your, <laughs> in your seat right now. Acknowledge that this restlessness and this distrustful pattern is in everybody, every one of us. Jesus died for us all, and we're all struggling to believe it. All of us. We're all struggling to have lives that actually reflect the love that he's shown us. That's why in verse, or, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he calls us to take up this like communal accountability, doesn't he? Encourage each other. Here's the, imagine this, especially now. Imagine if we were a community and you were a person, just individually, that were marked by more gratitude and encouragement than grumbling. Man, every time I'm around that guy, he's just such an encouraging guy. I mean, the problem is right now, I say this particularly right now because we're dealing with this massive trifecta, this trifecta of like politics, pandemic, and just general paranoia of everybody. And it is just robbing us of our gratitude and our encouraging words for each other. We just grumble now. That's what the world is marked by. So how, how, here's my question. How can you brave through the just ridiculous cliches I get of simply being an encourager, just telling people things like, hey, keep your faith up. 
What Jesus achieves and offers us is real. Believe it. Keep believing it. You're doing good. Keep going. Keep hoping in it. It's the best thing that you have. Don't lose sight of it. Just encourage each other that way. Two, learn to stop. Learn to Sabbath. Learn to physically rest so that you can do a spiritual check on your life. Some of you need to do this. Some of us too often think about this idea of rest as simply not working. And you're not wrong per se, you're just barely scratching the surface of it. It's about intentionally exploring how you feel towards Jesus. That's, that's what you need to do when we talk about rest. It's about seeking him, enjoying him, and inquiring of him. You might be, uh, you might be like me, okay, uh, that like to take one day a week or just one hour in a day or just one hour in a week for that matter. Just start where you are, maybe even just 10 minutes if, it's, if that's where you are. And it's really difficult for you to sit still, to, to be still, to pray, these sorts of things you struggle with. That, that, that probably is some of you. Maybe it's all of us. I mean, your just mind goes to a million places. You, you, you sit still to think and to pray, to take an inventory of your life, and you think, oh, shoot, I forgot to pay that bill. Oh, the dog food, you know? Like, oh, you know, this room is a mess. Why is it so messy in here? Like, these are the things that come into our head. Man, listen, please, it is okay. It's okay that that stuff floods your imagination. Go back to the beginning. Rest is about recapitulation that Jesus' work was enough, or you're essentially heading back into ridiculous religiosity. So have an anchor prayer. Like, if you're sitting still, have an anchor prayer you go to. I think that's a helpful tool. If, it, if the Lord's Prayer, there's plenty of other ones that I can provide to you. Just have one that you go to and just recite it. That's why Jesus gave it to us. And then have an anchor prompt. So like have an anchor prayer and then have an anchor prompt. Like this one. Here's one for you. I'll give you one. What's the story that I'm telling myself right now? What's the story I'm telling myself? And, and then don't worry how ridiculous it is, how out of touch with reality it is. Everybody hates me. Well, that's not true. But, you know, don't worry about how ridiculous it is. What's the story that you're telling yourself? Your heart believes all sorts of stories that your head thinks is so ridiculous and you're embarrassed by. But you're living them out. So just notice what they are. And as they come to the surface, just gently interrogate them. What? Is that what I believe? What about this story isn't true? What or how is this story impacting your decisions right now? How is it leading you away from God's love and the love of others? How does this story uh, that you're believing take you towards worry? How is it taking you towards anger? How is it taking you towards bitterness? Recognize those things. Acknowledge those things. And then just say this, Jesus, you've done and given me something better. I want to trust in that and I want to rest in that. Just say that. And then you're done. Amen. It's that simple. And then maybe God might reveal something you need to go and do. A confession you need to make. An apology that you may need to make. A gratitude that you may need to offer. An encouragement, encouraging word that you may need to offer. And, or maybe you just need to go eat a meal with a smile on your face for the first time this week. And that's what I would invite you to do now. I hope that this what this meal is for you today. 
our time of communion, I hope it's a time where you can believe that Jesus truly finished the work on your behalf. That this bread represents his body broken for you and that the cup of wine represents his blood shed for you. That you can take this meal, come take this bread, come take this cup with a smile and let yourself be at rest. If you are someone that calls Jesus as Lord, you're trying to work that out in your life, not perfectly, right? Clumsy as all of us. But as you do that, as you think that way, as you're trying to wrestle with that in your heart, you're invited to come forward and take part. If Jesus' work is truly enough, then please come to this station or this station in a minute and take part. We love you. We are glad to hear. Uh, We're going to pray, and then you can go get your pizza, another meal, all right? Father, we love you and we thank you. And we uh, are trying our best to listen because we know that you're speaking. And there is a hardness that some of us have that needs to be softened. And for some of us, we are in in a soft place. And we are just so happy and grateful and excited to see how you will mold us because we are softening to you. Oh, the adventure of discipleship is so worth it. And we give you thanks. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his work on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name that we always pray. Amen.